Welcome to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. We're here to promote lifelong learning through the context of adventure. Through our one-on-one interviews, we capture in-depth stories across a variety of subjects, emphasizing a new life lesson in every episode. We're on a mission to entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace new challenges, reflect, push through fears, and get out there in search of your own adventures. We call it taking our medicine, and we invite you to join us for today's dose. Today's guest is J.J. Lewis of The Good Adventure Company. J.J., how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Drew. I'd love to start just by digging in to uh, to your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I uh, live in Cortez, Colorado. I own and operate an adventure motorcycle tour company called The Good Adventure Company and uh, live out in the, some of the most beautiful uh, outdoor areas um, in, the, in the southwestern United States. So spend a lot of my days uh, mountain biking and uh, uh, motorcycling and, and just some crazy, amazing places. JJ, that sounds wonderful. That's, uh, that is God's country. I love the Southwest, and uh, it, it sounds like you, uh, you get to spend a lot of time having some fun outside. One of the greatest things that, uh, the greatest gifts I was ever given uh, was the gift of motorcycles. You know, I, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, my parents were uh, divorced when I was four and spent a lot of time at my childhood going back from Tulsa to Southern California, uh, where my dad lived. And, uh, you know, when I was six, my dad uh, got us all brand new motorcycles. And, you know, during my time visiting him in California, he taught me, um, you know, how to ride the motorcycle, got me into um, motocross, you know, uh, and, and riding across the desert, camping. And so, I felt really disconnected as a kid because I had to go back and forth and I didn't understand, you know, the new life that my dad was building and, and why things were so difficult back and forth. But even though I didn't understand that, everything seemed to be okay uh, when I was on uh, on top of a motorcycle riding as fast as I could across the desert. Mm. And, you know, it's there's a funny story. Um, when I was eight years old, uh, my brother, uh, who's five years older than I, um, and my dad, we were racing across this dry lake bed in Barstow, California. And uh, there's a, a, a calico ghost town uh, that's, you know, it's written, calico is written on the rocks uh, up on the mountain there. And we were racing across the dry lake bed as fast as we could go. And, you know, about five years ago, I'm riding my BMW to California along the freeway and I look over and I can see that calico sign on the mountain and I'm like no way you know so I pull off the highway and I get to the lake bed and there's a whole bunch of no trespassing signs and I'm like whatever you know so I I take this big beamer and I'm racing across the dry lake bed it's the same thing I did when I was eight years old and um, it's those kinds of uh, memories uh, that even though things were really challenging as a kid Everything made sense on the back of a motorcycle. You know, about six years ago, I started uh, an adventure motorcycle tour company called The Good Adventure Company while I was still, you know, active duty. And um, and now uh, my life, I'm not practicing as a clinician, but I take uh, I take mostly men and mostly their the age range is late 40s to early 60s, where um, 
these men have worked their whole lives and become professionals and maybe have taken, you know, got the motorcycle after watching the movie, taken a few uh, training courses and are ready to go out there and have a real adventure. And I take them out and give them a real adventure. You are the guide. Yes. Yes. How cool is that? Oh, man. There's a... Uh... So I work in uh, men's ministry, and what you're getting at right now fulfills a need that I think is uh, only going to be, I think it, it is only going to become more prevalent. Um, and I think there's, I think there's some synergy between the mission of, of what I'm doing with Adventure Deficit and what you're actually doing out um, in more of a, a service provider type, type uh, environment. Uh, and that is, we call it take your medicine, but I think there's something so, so necessary about putting a 55 year old guy who's already achieved what the world has told him to achieve on a machine that could kill him and putting him in a situation where all of his professional polish is going to do nothing for him, but he's going to have to work and he's going to have to work hard and he's going to have to work with a team in order to uh to navigate through you know what you're saying is is real adventure and i can only imagine that requires some uh some technical uh objectives being presented yeah yeah i mean i take we go down into uh the copper canyon of mexico which is basically in the golden triangle drug cartel area you know of you know southern sonora chihuahua Sinaloa, Durango, that area where, you know, culturally, uh, it's completely different. It's rich. It's wonderful. The terrain is very, very, very difficult um, on big adventure bikes, especially the off-road sections. Sure. Uh, um, it's, it's crazy. And uh, it is like an outward bound trip on steroids. That's and, so cool, JJ. Yeah. But as you say, you know, you say, take your, take your medicine. And the, the trip that I want to talk about is, is sort of the trip where I, you know, brought everybody to this crucible of adventure. And, you know, I really had to take my own medicine as, as a leader. And it, it really kind of was transformative as I think about this whole, you know, talking about working on the reservation, you know, being professional, having that kind of big, all of a sudden disappeared and having the adventure sort of, uh, you know, enrich your life and blow your mind. And mm. that's, that's, you know, that's part of the story that I, yeah, that I think is, is, uh, important to tell. Beautiful. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And I know our listeners, um, have to be at, on the edge of their seats as well. So let's, uh, let's break into it, shall we? Let's do. And, uh, I want to just sort of talk about a previous chapter really quickly that, is sort of the cornerstone of, of this whole trip. And, you know, talking about, you know, my dad giving me this wonderful gift of, of motorcycling, uh, doing the best that he could, uh, you know, with the family situation. As I kind of grew up in high school and as a young adult and began to process a lot of the pain in the situation uh, with my dad, um, you know, it, we weren't that close anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I, I harbored a lot of resentment and pain, even though I tried to work through it with my dad. 
uh, the last 10 years or so of his life, he really struggled with Parkinson's. And I would visit him intermittently, but it was really difficult to to see him and talk to him and, and watch his, uh, his faculties sort of diminish because right before my eyes, it was proof that my dad was never going to be the dad that I needed him to be, um, the dad that I actually deserved to have, <laughs> I felt. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of resentment. And I, you know, I worked um, through it a lot, but it was still there. But this last Christmas, uh, he had left me a voicemail. And in his voice, I could tell that, you know, you know, my heart of hearts was telling me, this is, this is it. You, you need to go visit him. And my stepmom had sent, texted me a photo of, of she and my dad smiling, and I could just look in his eyes in that photo. And I was like, okay, this is it. And uh, so I told my wife, I told Tegan, I said, I, I got to go to Dallas. And so the next day after Christmas, loaded up the car and raced to Dallas and spent two days with my dad. And uh, there's really powerful days because, uh, you know, even though his he was really suffering and he could barely walk and uh, speech was really difficult, all the memories uh, and, and, and the pain uh surfaced between he and I, uh, he was, and he felt the pain too. You could see it in his eyes. He apologized about what he would have done differently. And, um, and I was able to sort of say, hey, this is how it was for me. And, and both connected that way. And what was really rich about it was the motorcycles through is that we, you know, even though his memory might've been declining, stuff that was really powerful in my mind was also powerful in his. And I was able to kind of get a sense from my dad that he was really doing the best that he could. And um, we really had a healing time in those two days. And it came to the point where we both knew that it was time to say goodbye. And this was the last time we were going to see each other on this, on this earth and um, really had a, a really powerful goodbye. Um, embraced him, kissed him on the forehead I uh, told him I loved him and he told me he loved me too. And, you know, uh, it was raining outside in, in Dallas and I just pushed through the nursing home doors. And uh, as soon as I walked out, the rain was just on my face and um, got in the car and drove back to Colorado and felt completely different than I had ever felt before. And um, so I had this beautiful experience with my dad and it was such a gift uh, you know, it's like something that was so raw and, and, and so painful that you knew if you didn't go out and get it, uh, it was going to be, uh, the death to, you. you know, you knew you needed to have it. And that was the, that was what I was, that's what I, I, I went after, even though it was really difficult. So I had this great experience with my dad and I knew that it was only a matter of time when uh, he was going to pass away. And, uh, my trip, that I had planned and everybody had paid for was in the beginning of February for Copper Canyon. So I had about 10, uh, 10 guys that were signed up and paid for and everything's reserved. So there's it's set in stone, you know, it's, it's going on, it's going down. And so we, we meet, uh, the group meets, we meet at, we have a base camp in uh, Southern Arizona and we cross, uh, at Douglas, Arizona and cross over into Sonora and it's a wonderful first day. The sun is uh, is shining brightly. It's not too hot. We're uh, racing uh, 
down the twisty roads in the Sonoran River Valley, everybody's getting a chance to feel what it like it feels like to be in a new culture and uh, to slowly kind of be immersed step by step as you get deeper and deeper into Mexico and have a wonderful first night. Everybody's uh, loving the village that we're staying in. The next day, it goes from the Sonoran River Valley up uh, to, to over 8,000 feet um, on the Sierra Madre. And uh, people talk about the tail of the dragon. Motorcyclists know the tail of the dragon uh, down in North Carolina and Tennessee area. And, um, you know, I don't know how many curves there are in 13 miles, but this is 12 hours of the tastiest twisty roads up and down the mountains uh, that people have ever ridden. You know, you love twisty roads as a motorcyclist, but this road, you're like, when is this going to end? It never (laughs) ends until uh, late, you know, the the next evening. It's, it's, It's the best roads that I've ever ridden on and the best roads that my clients have ever ridden on. So when we're done with that day, everybody is just can't believe how adventurous it was and how crazy it was and the you know the the donkey that was in the in the middle of the road um as they went around the corner or the truck that was in their lane or the gravel that they you know went through and made it made it and uh the corners that they just ripped through and uh the sights and the, and the views and so uh we end that day in a in a town called creel in chihuahua and creel is at eight thousand feet elevation it's the um it's the town. It's the, the basically the the center of the town uh, to enter the Copper Canyon. It's where all the tourist buses go, and it's a really fun uh, tourist town. And when we get there, the weather starts to decline. All of a sudden, it's about forty degrees, thirty five degrees, and sleeting. We take one photo, and, and when we get there, and uh, the rain starts to come down and so we race to the hotels and get everybody situated and the rain just keeps coming down and coming down and it's you know it's low 30s and uh you know everybody goes to dinner that night and i could just tell that the mood is going down i'm keeping up composure i'm keeping everybody in good, good spirits you know as the guide but inside i'm like oh no what's it going to be like tomorrow and so it, it gets it sleeps that night um it doesn't snow but it's in the low 30s. The rain just keeps coming down in sheets. Um, you can hear it on the, you know, on the on the ceiling and on the windows. And the, it's cold coming through the door. And I had my own room at that at that uh, at that night. And I woke up early in the morning because my phone was ringing, and it was my stepmom telling me, "Hey, you know, your dad isn't doing well. I think he's going to pass quickly. Um, mm. I'll just keep you updated and let you know." And uh, so. I put the phone down and I sat on the bed and listened to the rain coming down and just was sort of just sitting there quiet, you know, for about 20 minutes or so. And then I got the call that my dad had passed away. Wow. And, um, I wasn't sure what to do, you know, cause I told my stepmom, I'm like, Hey, I'm on this trip. You know, if you're going to do arrangements, please keep this in mind. Uh, so on and so forth. But, She's like, you know, okay, we'll make, we'll, you know, we'll do what we can do. Um, but I had to attend to my group. And so, you know, walked out into the rain, similar to the, to the rain that I felt in, in Dallas and looked up and uh, walked to breakfast. And uh, everybody's, everybody's attitude was a little bit down because of the weather. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really feel like I needed to share that uh, situation with my dad, with anybody at that point, just because I needed to maintain composure. I needed to be that guide. So we left breakfast and 
everybody got on their bikes and the rain was just coming down like crazy and it was cold you know still mid 30s and you know we everybody has these really expensive riding suits that you know generally cost over more than two thousand dollars and you know it might say it's waterproof and Gore-Tex, but it's only waterproof and Gore-Tex to a certain extent. And I was afraid that, you know, the town that we were riding to, it's called Batapilas. It's this beautiful canyon, uh, a town in, this, in the bottom of the canyon. And it, you know, Creel is at 8,000 feet and Batapilas is, you know, about 1,600 feet. So you've got a plunge in elevation with only a short amount of mileage wow. going down into the canyon, these huge, huge switchbacks. But as we're riding a couple hours to get to the top of the canyon, you know, everybody's soaked to the bone. And mm. it's still mid mid to high 30s, freezing. And everybody is just, you know, the spirits are low. We're frustrated. We're cold. And, and you know, I got our heated grips on. And it's no match for the weather. Oh. And it's miserable. It sounds miserable. You know, and, and you know. My dad passed this up that morning, you know, and here I am trying to keep everybody's spirits up. And I am like, oh, my Lord, <laughs> how am I going to pull this off, you know? And I just was like, well, I'm just going to do my best. And uh, we get to the top of the canyon, go about a mile or two, go around a corner. And all of a sudden, Drew, there's this huge river. I'm not joking. An immense river. I mean, it's it's flowing off the top of the canyon onto the roadbed, down the roadbed for a quarter of a mile, and then plunges off uh, down into the canyon, thousands of feet below. And I just start laughing when I get to this point. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we going to do? And uh, we park our bikes uh, a little bit away from that river because I'm afraid that the whole roadbed is going to collapse because of the power. Sure. And the water's uh, almost three feet deep. Uh, coming onto the road and the current is just so strong pushing you know could easily drag you over the edge and so we get there and everybody's standing around me and and saying what are we going to do are we going to go back to creel you know and and everybody's frustrated and uh, i i i uh took off my helmet and smiled i said this is where the adventure starts boys this is what you signed up for how are we going to get across this and everybody looks at me almost incredulously, and uh, then everybody realizes, oh, yeah. He's serious. He's dead serious. And so I let the group and let us all work together to decide how we're going to get across this. And at that point, um, the rain was dissipating just a little bit, and uh, we figured that if we waited an hour, maybe – the rain would would slow down a little bit and the and the water would recede just a little bit and uh, so we waited about an hour and it came down about uh, 10 inches but it was still really high and still flowing very quickly and it was still really dangerous and so uh, we all waded through that um, that river and uh, to the point where you know uh, we were kind of holding hands and trying to keep each other upright and then uh, two people or three people would then uh, bring each bike through the water and, and kind of use the rest of us as you know bumpers uh, to keep to keep things upright. And uh, so we got all the the bikes uh, except the last one, 
And uh, one of my buddies who's got probably 2 million miles under his belt, just an excellent adventure rider, um, waves off the other uh, two people to help with the bike and just takes this big BMW GS and just plunges into the water and uh, bumps into a couple of us, you know, you know, so he didn't fall over, but just rides through um, like a madman. And uh, so sort of finished off that whole challenging section with a big hurrah and everybody you know, is just uh, on cloud nine because we didn't think we were going to be able to make it through this. And it's, I mean, it was really intense. I didn't think we were going to make it through. I wasn't sure uh, without a winch or a pickup truck or something, but I was really amazed at the way these guys work together. Wow. And so, so we made it down to the town called Batapilas, which is this wonderful village. And it was warm and, uh, you know, had lunch and dinner and everybody had a great time. And uh, I still was quiet about my dad and just was sort of uh, you know, keeping everybody lively and, uh, and spending some time with my, myself, sort of walking around. And uh, that evening, the rain started coming down and down and down and down. And Batapilis is right on this little river. And the hotel that we're staying in uh, has a courtyard that, that goes right up to the river. And the water is getting higher and higher and higher and higher and the forecast does not look good so uh we get up for breakfast the next morning and uh, at breakfast we're deciding which route we're gonna go take and everybody's sort of um excited about what they did and feeling a really unstoppable and so we decide to keep our our same route which is all dirt up and down these canyons uh huge ruts big water crossings and to these really, really, really small villages. And this is also in the middle of cartel country. So there are, you know, these awesome F-250 platinum trucks with, you know, 16-year-old kids with AK-47s and AR-15s just, uh, you know, guarding things. And, you know, it's just a different environment. And so, you know, everybody is, you know, on edge because of, of that, because it's a new experience. And uh, also the, the terrain is is crazy so yeah this this sounds this is incredible so i'm just trying to get myself i'm i'm trying to put myself in your shoes and i'm i'm already maxed out from the fact that um i i didn't have much sleep um and when you go into something when you go into something that's um as uh high intensity as what you're just you just went through uh and you're already on a on a, an emotional low uh to go into a to go into a physical setting where you're required to be so precise so surgical with every move gosh this is like i'm feeling some i'm feeling a lot of energy going into just sustaining myself at this point yeah yeah i mean it is the terrain is crazy even without the rain, but yeah. with the mud and the ruts and uh, just the the water is so deep, you know, it's it's dangerous. You could drown your bike and end your trip really easily. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you have to be on your A game. Yeah. I get, that's a good way to, yeah, I just, this sounds like an exhausting day. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're three hours into the ride and everybody is tired and I am, I am completely emotionally and physically exhausted. I'm trying my best to keep my, 
you know, head up as a leader and then keep my eyes up on the, on the trail. And all of a sudden we, we reached this water crossing, which it's over three and a half, four feet deep. There's no way that a truck could get across it. There's certainly no way that a bike could get across it. We are stuck out there and there's no way to go. We, that we can't go forward even though we're doing our best and trying to find any place along the river that might be not so deep, it's impossible. And uh, so we're stuck. And so we discuss our options, take a vote, and we decide to rendezvous about two hours um, back tracking on the route. And that would open up a, a couple different options for us once we got there, depending on the weather. Okay. And so... I said, hey, you guys, I'm going to run sweep. I'm just going to chill out a little bit. You guys have fun, and uh, we'll see you in a couple hours as we rendezvous. If anybody has any trouble, I've got everything. I'm right behind you. And that was a little bit of relief for me to kind of be out of the front fray a little bit. But as I began to go and I was riding the last person, um, the, the mud would catch me, and I'd crash. And I'm a really good rider, Drew. I mean – I'm not the best, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm an excellent rider, but here I am crashing head over heels on, on by myself and then having to pick my bike up. And then I'm berating myself of like, why can't you keep the, why can't you keep it together? Why can't you stay upright? And, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to be easy on myself, but I'm completely exhausted. And, you know, the morning isn't even over yet. It's not even noon. And, you know, and uh, I do my best to stay kind to myself and, going around this corner down this really steep hill um, there's a rut that I don't pay attention to and my front tire gets stuck in it and I'm sent headlong head first you know into the ground hitting my head pretty hard and then sliding towards the side of the cliff and it's a switchback so it's a couple hundred foot drop behind uh, you know underneath me and I'm sliding towards this and my bike is sliding towards me because it's right behind me you know, and I end up right next to it, and my front tire is hanging over the edge. Oh my word! And I I'm, I sit there, and I'm like, "What is next?" And you know, I'm trying to get my head together. I just knocked it pretty silly, and it takes me a good twenty minutes or so to get my bike, you know, to pull it off the side of the cliff and to get it up and catch my breath. And so I eventually make it back, you know, at least forty five minutes behind. I, where I'm supposed to, to the rendezvous point. And people can see the mud on my jacket and on my helmet, and they can just tell I am out of sorts. And I, I still don't say anything about my dad. And uh, we take a vote whether we're going to go back to that little town of Batapilas and wait it out, and maybe tomorrow then we'll try the route again. Or let's do this other town that we can get to, and, uh, and uh, it's still going to be adventurous and crazy. And we're really not sure if we can make it, but at least we're not going to be sitting still and being bored, at, at, you know, at, at experiencing something we've uh, we experienced before. We're going to go for it. And uh, everybody's like, yep, this is why we're here. Let's do this. And uh, they're still in good spirits. And I'm trying to keep it up as best I can. And uh, so we decide to go for it. We climb out of the canyon. So we're at, you know, 16, 1800 feet. And then we're climbing these huge, slick, muddy switchbacks to get to the top of the canyon again. And then we go down into another canyon. And the views are incredible. 
I wow. mean, mind, mind-blowing. You think the Grand Canyon is amazing? Uh, the Copper Canyon is a link of seven different canyons that are as vast, uh, maybe not as deep, but the beauty is um, very comparable, but completely different, but mind-blowing. Uh, so we're having this wonderful, marvelous views. The, the, you know, the riding is really, really challenging. Uh, I'm trying to keep it together, but I am beat. I am exhausted. I have nothing left. You know, and we come down the other side of the canyon, and it had rained there um, a little bit more, and the um, road was just a different type of material. And it, it turned into this dip, this, this thick, deep peanut butter type of mud that was uh, coating your tires and your spokes and clogging your fenders. And the bike that I had, the fenders are a little bit lower than others. Um, I began to get stuck, you know, to the point where my front wheel would stop turning and I'd be skiing <laughs> basically Whoa. with the front tire. Just shoving and mud. And falling over and I could smell my clutch burning and um, you know at one point my bike goes over and I have nothing left <laughs> it sounds so melodramatic but I am so beat I'm just laying in the mud next to my bike I can't move I'm exhausted and I'm I'm embarrassed you know and because I'm wondering like what are these guys thinking I'm the guide and here I am falling and crashing and I can't make it through I can't even pick my bike up I can't do anything and I take my helmet off and um, crawl on my knees and, uh, you know, and I, I'm bawling, man. And uh, I come, to, I just walk to the side of um, the road and there's this huge stream that's going down. I just go and sit down on the stream and uh, one of my buddies comes over to me and puts his arm around me and he's like, what's, what's up? And I'm like, dude, my dad died a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, like, you know, like a bear hug, like it can be annoying sometimes when somebody's like squeezing the air out of you. Um, but man, this hug was just this brotherly connection. Like it's okay. And, uh, you know, it was okay to be in that vulnerable place, to be the guide, to be the leader and to just have nothing left and to be finally just be really open and honest with these guys about what happened. And, and they, you know, they were, they were just completely open and supportive and almost surprised of like, why didn't you tell us earlier? Yeah. Why didn't you tell and, them sooner? Yeah. Wow. And just the freedom I felt at that point. And, uh, they looked at each other and got the tools out, uh, took my fenders off my bike and lifted it and, and, you know, uh, girded up my brake lines so they're not going to get stuck in my wheel. And, he said, we'll just make it through here. And then when the, when the mud ends, we'll put up, we'll put this stuff back and we're just going to go slow as we need to. It's totally cool. JJ, we, we, we got this. We understand. Uh, we care about you. Thanks for, thanks for, you know, leading us like this. And, uh, you know, uh, to be so vulnerable and have no choice, but to be so vulnerable and accept that, uh, acceptance and openness from the group was a, was a really I don't say new experience, but it was, it was, um, an experience like, you know, um, I had rarely had before. Yeah. And so got on the bike and, um, went a few miles through the mud at two or three miles an hour, slipping and sliding. And, uh, then we make it to, uh, 
you know, a section that's better. And uh, they put my fenders back on and uh, we keep going. And, you know, that took a long time. The, the time is going quicker than I want it to. Um, the afternoon is fading. Uh, we can barely stop for lunch at a little village and get some uh, candy bars and, and uh, Gatorade or whatever and fill up our bikes with a little bit of fuel from the, you know, the, the, you know, the plastic container. And what should really take us about three hours to get to the town where we need to go um, eventually t- takes us more than eight hours. Wow. So uh, the afternoon fades, the darkness comes, and along with the darkness comes rain like I've never seen before. Rain that's worse than the two nights before us. And there's no other choice except to keep rolling. And the the road gets worse and worse because we're near a river and there's all these streams. They're taking out part of the roadbed. So uh, if you're not careful on the side of the road, you can fall headlong into this really, really deep crevice. Um, and... Uh, the water crossings are getting deeper and deeper. It's getting darker and darker. Everybody's getting quieter and quieter because we realize there is no margin for error here. And uh, the mud is getting peanut buttery. All of us are crashing, not just me. And uh, everybody is getting super, super exhausted. And uh, the GPS tracks that we're on get a little bit crazy and dicey in this area. And so we're going down one section and it's getting worse and worse and worse, almost impossible to pass. And so I look at the tracks and I, and I, everybody stopped and I'm like, Hey guys, I'm really, really sorry about this, but I think we missed our turnoff about five miles ago and we need to, we need to backtrack. And I can, I, I, I can hear the groan Oh yeah. and, uh, uh, and I can hear my own groan of like, I'm never, ever, ever going to lead a trip again. Ever, can oh, never do man. this. Yeah, no way. And yeah. I and I, so we make it. We backtrack five miles to the place we're supposed to go to. And this five and miles is is like at a snail's pace, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. at least another hour. Yeah, through this almost impossible terrain, and then we get to the turnoff, and the gate is completely locked. Come on. Yeah, and this is this is my my doing, of course. And so I'm feeling completely defeated, and I felt like I was never going to lead a trip before, and uh, I was adamant, and I was, you know, swearing up a storm. I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I can't do this, you know. And not all the guys can hear me, but you know, my my buddy who hugged me at that other other section mm-hmm. grabs my jacket, looks at me, and he says, "You love this." He said, "This is what you we signed up for. This is what you told us was going to happen." this is it. You've brought this adventure to us and we were all in this and we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Uh, we're going to make whatever we're going to do. We're going to make it through this together. You know, he's like, this is great, JJ. This is awesome. You know, and, um, it's okay. And I didn't have to be the, uh, you know, fearless, uh, you know, intractable, uh, unemotional leader. It was raw. Everybody was raw. And, um, we were we were all frustrated and uh, and we you know we let it know that we were all frustrated and uh, we made it we made our way back we kept going the route that we were going and it got worse and worse and the water crossings were getting deeper and you know one was you know almost a, an eighth of a mile long 
through these huge bowling ball rocks. The river crossing? Yes, the last one. And you couldn't see because the water, the rain was coming down and the fog was so thick. You could barely see the taillights um, ahead of you. And uh, it's unreal. I've never ridden, I've ridden a lot of miles and a lot of off-roading and done a lot of crazy stuff, but I've never been in this scenario before. And even, you know, the buddy that I talked about who had plunged his bike into the river solo, um, he was like, JJ, I've never, ever ridden in something like this. He said, this is absolutely crazy. This is going in my book. You know, he's a rider too. And, um, but the last water crossing um, was a quarter of a mile long. Man. And it was, it was, you know, above your knees. And the bike was pitching back and forth and back and forth. And I thought for sure someone's going to drown it. We're going to drown the bike here. And uh, it was at that point, you know, everybody needed to be on their A game. There was no margin for error. It, you know, we, there was no, there, you, couldn't, you couldn't mess this up. You couldn't, in, you know, and, and we're all exhausted. And, uh, you know, I can, we're almost done with this water crossing, almost at the end. And I can hear um, this KTM in front of me and I can hear the water get into the intake just a bit. And I'm like, oh, no. And, uh, you know, the guy riding that bike is just really, he's, he's, he's a smart guy. And as soon as he kind of gets his bike out of the water, you know, he hits the throttle. You can hear all the water just, you know, come out of the bike. And, you know, it stutters a bit, but, it, you know, he gets it out and, and we go forward and um, we make that crossing. And then we keep going probably about five miles. And then the road, the tarmac arrives, you know. So we all slowly pull up and do a group at, at the road. And um, there was this point in this, the movie Long Way Around where they're rotting the dirt for ages. And they, they just cannot wait for the tarmac. And they get out and they kiss the road. <laughs> Literally, one of, one of the guys gets out and lays his whole body on the road to land that we finally made it to the tarmac wow jj that's an awesome story man thank you for sharing all those details that's uh that's a riveting uh epic story we've got um we've got a, a last segment that uh, involves the life lesson and you already kind of started to allude to it but if you had to succinctly bring us to uh you know to a sentence or two that you say was was the overarching lesson from this episode in Copper Canyon. Um, what what was the takeaway? There's there are so many, but I think the riveting aspect of that you're you're coming close to um, your humanity. There's no choice but to go through his. Uh, and, and you can't give up. If you give up, everything is everything is gone. You have to keep going. You have to keep moving. You can't do it yourself. And you can't you can't have it all together yourself. You're you're you know you you have to depend on other people. You have to work together, and you can't give up. That's cool, man. I love it. I love your story. I love um, all the rich imagery. And I would love an opportunity to get on two wheels, man, with you. That sounds like a fun time. 